Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One, two, three, four. Good morning and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patekno alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting and Producer Lance Glenn will join us this morning because it is Wednesday, hump day. September 27th, that means it is Mailbag Wednesday. And if you haven't got your questions, then we're not going to get to them on this show. But if you have a question in the future about anything we talk about on this show or there's a topic that you're interested in, maybe we haven't touched on, go leave a review. That's the place to do it. Or you can respond on Twitter as well. So Mailbag Wednesday, one of our favorites, Drew, Lance. Drew, I'll start with you. Good morning. How are we doing, man? Doing good, bud. Hey, are we in on the Ryder Cup? Is that is the, is the podcast in on the Ryder Cup? Describe in. Are we invested? Yes. Are we okay. betting? Are we financially invested? Well, to I be mean, determined. It's, it's it's overseas, over the pond. So you know, it's a little bit difficult to watch. I mean, I, I had the live from the Ryder Cup on this morning. I just just wanted to get the pulse of the group. I don't think our record over there is very good. And vice versa, right? No clue. But yes, yeah, accurate. I, got, I think I got, that's like a, a very difficult environment to play in. I wonder if there's like a course advantage for European players. I would assume so. I am excited about that. When does that uh, When does that start? Tomorrow? Friday. 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 Friday is tomorrow's the opening ceremonies. I don't know if you're going to tune into the opening ceremonies, but yeah, I am excited Friday. about that. Very excited. So excited. I got a golf lesson today that I'm already mentally in my head about. What, what I'll tell you what, you, I'm just, what I'm just, you gonna work on, Coop? I'm just really, really worried about where my game's going. Not in a good direction. Very armsy, very handsy. Sometimes I'm out there. It's like I'm playing tennis or pickleball. Just no, no body structure, no, no ability to just like activate the core, you know? Are you I gonna, go to sleep. I put my head on the pillow at night. I think about golf. Are you going to focus on any part of your game specifically during the lesson today, or are you just? I'm going to just of... trust the process, man. Yeah. I got my, I got my boy, I got my boy, uh, my boy Matt at Old Natchez Country Club. Shout out to him. That's not the same course that we played at a month ago, correct? That is not. No, that is McCabe. No. Shout out to McCabe. If we got some Nashville listeners over here, McCabe Golf Course, great spot, Sylvan Park. Like $40, walk right up, don't even need a tea time. 
good time. Now you better wear a helmet out there. There's balls flying everywhere. It's it's a little <laughs> bit of a little bit crazy. All right, let's get into this mailbag, Lance. What do we got, man? Yeah. So thanks for everyone for sending questions. Remember to send them via five star rating and review on Apple as well as on Twitter the day before. Let's start with our first question. What does the future of Georgia's, Georgia's excuse me, tight end room look like after Ethan Barber's commitment? Now, Ethan Barber, one of the top tight ends in the 2025 class. He committed to the Georgia Bulldogs either late last week or over the weekend, but he is now part of Georgia's tight end room. So what does the future of that room look like with him now in the fold? Well, I like this question because I'm, I'm kind of upset that we didn't talk about Ethan Barber on the uh, Tuesday episode. I mean, he slipped under the radar, I think committed Friday around noon, lunchtime. Um, this is a big deal. And Georgia now has two of the top tight ends in the 2025 cycle committed. I mean, Todd Hartley continues to do Todd Hartley things. And I think pairing Ethan Barber with Elias Williams, who is our number one ranked tight end in 2025, it's the perfect combination. And I think Hartley, after Barber committed, was tweeting out like uh, uh, a poker hand, you know, two kings, or maybe it was two aces. I, I can't really remember, but it was, a, it was a pretty slick graphic he had made by someone there in Athens in terms of, you know, stacking the deck. This is the hand you want. Uh, Coop, I know you saw Barber at the Future 50, right? We saw him back in, in June at the IMG. Um, I see him as a, a move tight end. I think he's a natural pass catcher. You know, he's 6'3, 233 pounds. I think in person, when you see him, though, he doesn't feel like the biggest guy, but he's only 16. So I think he's he's gonna fill out here over the next few years. It's pretty amazing the job that Todd Hartley's done. He has the most talented tight end room in the country, bar none. I don't think it's even relatively close. I mean, you think about the depth the amount of talent that they brought in every year. You think about if they were actually able to add a guy like Deuce Robinson last year, who's really playing receiver for USC. But Drew, I mean, Pierce Sperlin for us was a guy that we didn't really get to see because he didn't play much of his senior season. We saw him at the All-American Bowl. I think they got something there with him. Lawson Lucky, another guy that I think is going to emerge post-Brock Bowers. Oscar Delp, one of those guys as well. Jaden Riddell, right, committed in this class, a guy that we have in the top 100 that we really like a lot. And then another cat from your neck of the woods uh, that I am. Uh, Colton Heinrich. There you go. Yep, that I'm, I'm blanking on his name. But what I like about that room is that they have a little bit of everything, right? You had Darnell Washington there before who was kind of like, let's just call him what he is. He, he was a unicorn at six foot seven and 270 pounds plus in terms of a pass catcher, being able to block. I think all these guys, really outside of Jaden Riddell, uh, out, out of the ones that I have seen recently, they all have something in common. They are super willing in-line blockers. And Ethan Barber is one of those guys, you see him at a seven-on-seven, he's kind of like a magnet. The ball just kind of finds him. And then you turn on the tape and drew, much to my surprise, Here's a guy that's not only willing, but he's pretty physical at the point of attack. He's a well-rounded skill set. I like him. You mentioned the fact that he's only 16. So this is a very complimentary room. So I like the fact that every year seems to be a little bit different of a theme for Todd Hartley, right? It kind of builds on what he has and what he doesn't have, he goes out and gets. So this guy has a 
unbelievable reputation. I don't think it's just him going out there and finding the best players in the country at the tight end position. It's a, it's a combination of him finding, sure, the best talent, but the best talent that fits the Georgia Bulldogs and Mike Bobo's scheme. So, And here's the thing, Andrew, you and I have talked about this before. Todd Hartley used to be the director of player personnel under Mark Rick at Georgia. I don't think that is just like a coincidence that this guy has a really good feel in terms of how to attack his board and how to execute it. Well, the folks at UGA need to update the uh, the bio on Todd Hartley on the, on the official team website. It's It's a little dated, but I wrote this down. Over the past seven years, he has had eight tight ends that he either signed or worked with drafted. Once Bowers goes this year, that'll be nine and eight years. So last year, Darnell Washington, third round of the Steelers. Will Mallory out of Miami, fifth round of the Colts. Will Mallory is playing as a rookie. Year before that, John Fitzpatrick, sixth round to the Falcons. 2021, Trey McKitty, third round of the Chargers. Brevin Jordan, fifth round of the Texans. 2020, Charlie Warner, sixth round of the 49ers. They go back to his time at Miami, Chris Herndon, fourth round to the Jets in 2018, David Njoku, first round of the Browns in 2017. I mean, his his track record is impeccable. And I think the other thing is like every one of those guys is a little bit different. Now, what I like about the combination or to get to the question, you know, what does the future of this room looks like? I mean, Bowers is going to be gone after this year. I think Lawson Lucky, who has not played in a game yet for UGA this season, he he looked good in the spring. I don't know if he's dealing with an injury. I think he is Brock Bowers light, Oscar Delp receiving type of tight end. You know, he can catch it out of the backfield. Pierce Sperlin, more of a guy you want to split wide. Um, Jaden Rodell, huge production numbers. He's a freak athlete, can dunk the uh, the basketball. I know they like Colton Heinrich kind of as a inline blocker. Uh, and I don't know if George is actually done at the tight end position. You know, they were linked to Carter Nelson early on in the recruitment. Jamie Trimble, top 247 tight end out of out of Georgia that's committed to Syracuse. He popped into Athens for a game. So it could be a situation where they might take BPA and, and Hartley stands on the table. And then with Elias Williams and Ethan Barber, I think Elias Williams is is kind of like Darnell Washington. I mean, 6'6 and three quarters, 84-inch wingspan. 10.5 inch hands, 29 inch vertical jump, four five in the short shuttle with a one eight ten or with a one eight ten yard split. I think he is is similar to Darnell Washington. And then the player comp I have for Ethan Barber, he reminds me of Trey McKitty, who started off at Florida State, spent his final year at the collegiate level there at Georgia. I think those guys are are similar, and and McKitty might have an inch on Barber right now, but I think if you're a Georgia fan, you're like, all right, what are we getting in Ethan Barber? I think he can be utilized in a lot of the same ways as Trey McKitty was a couple of years ago. Here's my question to you, Andrew. What What's next for Todd Hartley? Is it an offensive coordinator position? Is it a, is it a head coach spot? Like, Okay. I mean, let me, let me throw this scenario out to you. Charles Huff, head coach at Marshall. Gets a P5 gig. What about Hartley as his first head coaching gig at Marshall? He has ties to West Virginia, right? Coached at Marshall from 2011 to 2014. Tight end and recruiting coordinator. Also coached safeties for a year. Learned that this morning as I uh, dug into the profile. 
I would think OC. I would think OC, but if he wants to be a head coach, I don't know if he's going to get a Power 5 head coaching gig, but I think you can go win at Marshall and parlay that into something else. It's like a um, – this might be a reach, me saying this, but it's it's almost like a Shane Beamer type of fit, right? Like it's not like, hey, this guy outside of you know being a special teams coordinator or whatever it is, but we know he can get it done at a high level. And if you're Marshall, it's a calculated shot, right? And I think when you're at a group of five program, you got to be creative that way. Yeah, but a power five could take that same shot. That's a that's a great coach comparison. <laughs> Beamer and Beamer and Hartley. Beamer was a tight ends guy as well. There you go. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Charles Huff getting some buzz right now, huh? Michigan Mar- State. They, they did it. Marshall, did a, I think, is four and zero, right? If I'm correct. Yeah, they just beat Virginia Tech. I saw a. Uh, their team account did like this drone video at kickoff. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It like follows the team out on the field, and it's a sold out stadium. It, it was pretty cool. I didn't. I didn't realize Marshall had that type of environment. Last last thing I'll say before we get to the next question, I just got to bring it up. Rutgers favorite against Virginia Tech one. Marshall beats Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. Are we the only ones talking about Virginia Tech? I mean, well, I have a higher standard for them. I don't know what is going on over there. I, I will say, as I did a lot of Virginia Tech research prior to their game against Rutgers, they are dealing with like a ton of injuries. Like Ali Jennings, their receiver they brought from Old Dominion last year, he's out for the year, I think. Uh, but he didn't, definitely didn't play in the Rutgers game. Uh, their second leading receiver, Jalen Lane, also didn't play against Rutgers. Grant Wells, who, you know, People have mixed opinions on him as a quarterback. He didn't play. They started Kyron Drones, who actually played well, I thought, against Rutgers, uh, even though he, I think he threw two picks. Um, they have dealt with a lot of injuries. So I do give Brent Pry the benefit of the doubt in Blacksburg, but their recruiting isn't going well. And well, there are a lot of issues, I think, or a lot of fans have issues with the offensive coordinator. So it wouldn't shock me after year two this season if – Changes are made to prize staff. That's I think. I, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time diving into Virginia Tech, but I think the quarterback position is is a major issue. Don't really like who they took last year, the two kids they signed, and I, I don't really like the guy that they have this year committed in, in the twenty twenty four cycle. Like, I don't think he is the long term answer. So. I would anticipate they're going to be in the transfer portal. Now, I do like some of the pieces they have have committed. Gabe Williams, a top two four seven linebacker, I think he's he's certainly intriguing out of Maryland. Keelan Adams, top two four seven wide receiver, and then Chance Wiggins, another local wide receiver. So I, I do like some of the, I don't know, high end talent they have in the class. But what is the long term plan at quarterback? Is my big, you know, ten thousand foot question. I've always been super intrigued with that job. Charles Huff, better fit at Virginia Tech or Michigan State? BT. Yeah, I would agree, Virginia Tech. But can they hire Charles Huff? Came from Penn State. Isn't Brent Pry from Penn State? You got to kind of push a different narrative. He was Franklin, D.C. I get the political side. Or you can eat it and just say we made a mistake, you know. Fair, fair. I'm I'm just bringing it up. No, I know. 
I'm with you. Okay. Good. Question two, Lance. What yeah, do we got? Good question, though. Uh, real quick on Lost and Lucky, Ivans, I looked it up because you mentioned that he hasn't played. He did suffer an ankle injury that required surgery back in fall camp. So oh, that could that. be a reason that could be a reason why he hasn't seen the field yet. Uh, but our second question, and Terry Bussey is set to announce tomorrow afternoon, so Thursday afternoon, with the final five of Alabama, Texas, AM, Oklahoma, and LSU. Which school do you think Terry Bussey fits best at? Either one you can uh, can pick it up to start. I guess it depends on what side of the ball you see him, really, right? <laughs> yeah, and I know that, you guys obviously see him at different sides of the ball. It's probably a good exercise, Drew. I mean, I, I don't know where you're going with this question, but I'll, I've always seen him on the offensive side of the ball, so that's immediately kind of where I, I gravitated to. Right, I'd say look. Texas it has more to do with Steve Sarkeesian than anything. And it has to do with the lack of trust in Tommy Reese, Oklahoma. I'm kind of like, I want to say wait and see mode. You could definitely see him in that offense. I think they're running a close second there. A&M, I guess you can make your argument. And then LSU, to me, LSU has just been, it's been Malik Neighbors. It's been Brian Thomas. I'm trying to think of the last guy that they had that was sub six foot as a receiver that really did some things. I, I don't know why that kind of like pops into my head, but I, I thought Aaron Anderson would be a bigger part of their offense. And I'm not saying Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Anderson and Terry Bussey are a spitting image of each other. And maybe I am missing a glaring one, but I think of Texas and immediately in Terry Bussey, I kind of think of, okay, who over the last five to six years have we've seen have some success with a dynamic kind of shifty utility receiver. And immediately I think about Jalen Waddle and it makes me think about Steve Sarkeesian. And if you're flanked by Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore and some, and a lot more of the talent that Texas is going to bring in to me, Terry Bussey is never going to be the focal point of the offense, but he is like the prime auxiliary piece. And he's going to be as good as the talent that he's surrounded by. So I, I think Texas, in my mind, would Terry Bussey work at other places? For sure. Yesterday, you and I talked about Alabama almost has like a redundant room. Kobe Prentice, Isaiah Bond. They got guys that do a lot of the same things. They had JoJo Earl in there before, right? He's kind of sub 5'11", slot receivers, utility guys that can do a lot of different things. Um, on on Isaiah Bond, I remember at one point during the recruiting process, it was either Georgia or Alabama thought he was a defensive back. Like I thought he was going to play DB in college. I think both of them were were entertaining it, which um, is ironic that we're talking about Terry Bussey right now because it it is kind of the the same conversation, right? Kayshawn Booty was sub six foot. I mean, he was five eleven and a quarter. I don't know. I know. I get what you're, you're, where you're going, but you know, I don't want someone attacking you for, you know, pointing out a, not pointing out the sub six foot receiver at LSU. No, I get it. I guess what I'm saying is maybe more from a utility standpoint, like chunk play, where a guy guy's going to play more on the inside than he is on the yeah. on the perimeter. Here's my. I, I couldn't settle on a school. I think all five of these, I can, I can see the, see them, see. Terry Bussey at each one of them. I think if he's going to be a DB, I would think Alabama or LSU. 
I, I see, I mean, who knows how long Nick Saban's going to be in Tuscaloosa, but I could see him being a DB there. Unless you just need to help in the secondary. Um, so if he was going to go the DB route, I think those two make sense. At Oklahoma, you know, you got Jeff Levy's passing attack. I think he's a guy. You get the ball in space. I think the quarterback situation there is setting up well with Jackson Arnold. Agreed with Texas. And I think with Texas, we've mentioned it, this 2024 recruiting class like feels like it lacks pop at the skill positions. I think he would ease some things over with that with that class. And yes, Texas signed a, a top five group the year prior, full of dudes, Jonte Cook, Cedric Baxter, but got to keep them coming in the program. A&M was interesting to me. And I don't know, I, I wrote this down and you, you could laugh at it, but Evan Stewart replacement, potentially. Like kind of kind of their their guy. I guess it just depends on what side of the ball um you know he views himself. And Terry Bussey, I mean, on the freaks list, I think he's one of the easiest kids to root for in this cycle. There's a uh there's a YouTube video that I think Ali Sports or someone did on on Terry Bussey and his his life, you know, lost his mother at a young age living living with a coach and really easy to root for him. Texas champ in the long jump last year. He's gone, what, 10-6 in the 100-meter dash, plays basketball, plays baseball, uh, plays quarterback, had a monster junior season there at Tipson in Texas, you know, 4,700 yards of offense, 72 total touchdowns, 115 tackles, four pick sixes on defense, scored four times on special teams. Mike Roach, national recruiting analyst there in Texas. He calls him small school dynamo for Terry Bussey, and I kind of love that. Heck of a player either way. You know, excited about him. All right, Lance, what we got? Yeah, and the funny thing about him is A&M is the crystal ball favorite, at least as of right now, again, announcing tomorrow. Speaking of A&M, one thing to mention that sort of just came out per, I believe, Billy Lucci, who runs a big Texas A&M site, I'm somewhat familiar with with what he does. He runs TexasAgs.com. Uh, he said that Connor Wigman, Texas A&M quarterback, is likely out for the season. So uh, just a little bit wow. of a Texas A&M note there. Uh, I know he got injured, I think, against Auburn, and they brought in Matt Johnson, and obviously yeah, who, ended up winning. Who led two straight scoring drives. Yeah. So remains to be seen how big of a loss it is, but obviously Connor Wigman is a rising star in in the sec a quarterback but it now looks like he will be out for a while if not the entire season so just a little a uh, little side and i don't know if either one of you have any uh, right. last thing let me ask let, let me ask last question cooper out of all those five schools who has the best long-term quarterback outlook to be oklahoma lsu a&m oklahoma <laughs> oklahoma that's my pick well, I mean, you're you're putting it on the shoulders of Jackson Arnold. I don't blame you. I would take Alabama out of the equation. I'd say between Arch Manning and Malik Murphy, Texas is is sitting in a pretty good spot. LSU with Garrett Nussmeyer. And yeah. you think about, um, you know, a couple of the young guys behind that, Ricky Collins as well. Yeah, I would probably feel the best, which is ironic you're saying this. Um, I would probably say Oklahoma. I, I mean, those are like – three of the top five quarterback rooms in the country, I think, when you're talking about future outlook. So it's 
you know, in terms of already having a little bit of a sample size with Jackson Arnold, I think you feel a little bit better about him because of one, you knew he was going to be ready for this level and what you've seen in a short amount of time in the four or five weeks that he's suited up in college football has been really impressive. And I think that's what you expected. So I think OU's in a great situation. I think Texas right there with him. And I think LSU's in a really good spot as well. I just, outside of Garrett Nussmeyer, I don't know. You know, Ricky Collins is a long-term projection. And then we have Colin Hurley, who we love in person, and it just doesn't match up on the field. So yeah, I'd probably, I guess what you're saying is, who's the guy that I feel the best about right now? I'd probably say Jackson Arnold. I mean, I don't know if Terry Bussey's even thinking about that. I, I do think there is, like you, did an excellent job of alluding to. I, I think some of these schools have better quarterback situations than others. He might not be thinking about it if he's going to be playing on the defensive side of the ball. Remember, of course, to send in those questions via five-star rating and a review. And of course, you could post them on Twitter as well. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right. Our third question. It seems like more and more kids are choosing to reclassify. Do you think we will get to a point soon where it becomes so popular that the majority of recruits each cycle decide to take that route? I I hope not. I don't think so. Do I think it's going to become more popular? Yes. Do I ever think it's going to get to the point where it's a majority thing? No. Uh, but I do think there you will see a a notable increase over the years. Um, what about what about amongst quarterbacks? Because I feel like I see quarterbacks as the position more and more that are reclassifying. Right. Like I think it was even. Austin Simmons, right? I think that's right. Didn't he go from 25 to class of 2023 now? With like, I feel like that position specifically, the coaches are trying to get more and more of these kids on campus earlier. So that's the position that I'm is, focusing on when it comes to reclassification. Is it the coaches though, or is it is it the families? You guys would know better than I would. All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I, I think case case by case, right, Drew? I mean, Austin Simmons, you know more about than I do. 
I don't really understand why Ole Miss would need him on campus other than the fact that from like an academia standpoint, one, he could do it. And two, he was, I want to say, pretty old for his grade, right? He was. So I think case by case, you can understand the outlook on Austin Simmons. Austin Mack, pretty interesting. That That's one that I have my eyes on because, Andrew, I don't know about you. I mean, we would have had to seen him at the Elite 11 over the summer. But there's nobody like Austin Mack in the 2020-2024 cycle in terms of arms. Six foot six, athletic, can move around a little bit. Only had one year of production at Folsom in Sacramento. If you're not familiar with him, he reclassed, was a 2024 quarterback, reclassed to 2023. Still finished in the top 75 for us in the top 247. I mean, we are like gung-ho about this kid. The problem is we hadn't seen a ton of him. And he was one of those guys we expected to make a huge leap as a senior. He's now at Washington. And there's already a lot of positive buzz about Austin Mack. Now, once uh, once Michael Penix departs for the NFL after this season, you can see why UW wanted Austin Mack there a year early. It, it just makes sense. And that's a little bit of a compromise. Does he lose a full year of reps? Does Is that unsettling? For sure. But to be able to get him in your program from a strength conditioning nutrition standpoint and then just from a process standpoint to get him acclimated to the playbook, he's got the physical talent and tools to play early. Now, I think there are going to be some growing pains, but he's one guy, Andrew, that I just look at and I'm like, all right, I put an asterisk next to his name because I do think he's going to get some run next year unless Kalen DeBoer decides to go back to the transfer portal, which is which is very much a, a considerable option. So I don't know. Um, you know, the other thing we're not talking about is like CJ Carr. There was a ton of buzz about him reclassifying. And Andrew, like you said, is it the coaching staff or is it the family? I think it's a, a mutual decision on what's best. CJ Carr, to me, needed this year, right? So it, his family or Notre Dame, it could have been the both parties that made the decision together. I think it's just case by case, you know, and um, I think a lot of that had to do with it. It didn't, but I think Notre Dame feels better about the fact like they go in 11th hour and are able to get a guy like Kenny Minchie. It makes you feel better about the fact that CJ Carr can play his senior season, if that makes sense. So I've done a lot of research on this. Because I, like Cooper said, I, I anticipate we're only going to get more and more reclasses with the current landscape, with the NIL, transfer portal, all that stuff. I think I think this is here to stay, and I don't think it's exclusive to the quarterbacks. The data is not promising. Just going to put that out there. The data is not promising for guys that have reclassified. Let's start with the quarterbacks. John David Booty. First did it, ended up at USC. I think he played early on, fifth-round pick, washed out in the NFL. Jake Bentley, three different schools in four or five years, now coaching quarterbacks at North Alabama. JT Daniels, 
at his fourth school in five years, finishing up at Rice. I will see if he gets drafted. Miller Moss, he did it two years ago at USC, has not started a game for the Trojans. Miles Jackson, this past cycle, reclassed at Stanford, wasn't even involved in uh, Stanford's like three or four man quarterback competition. Now, Quinn Ewers went to Ohio State, growing pains, now at Texas. We'll see how that goes. The other quarterback I have written down here, and he's a guy at Rutgers, Gavin Wimsat. I, I thought you weren't going to mention him. I was no, getting ready. No, his was an interesting one because he played some games as a senior and then all of a sudden decided to enroll and, and start classes. He has started 10 games at Rutgers. I don't know what his, rec- what his record is there in Piscataway. Does he have more wins than losses, Lance? Uh, it hasn't been great, but I will say, obviously, they're 3-1 and one this year, and he has shown – considerable the stats don't tell the whole story but he has shown considerable improvement this year compared to previous years so there definitely is more hope after these first four games and then than there was after last two season granted he was hurt last year and missed like five or six games but uh things are looking up for him at least as of right now i think i do agree case by case study sure yes like some guys start in high school as freshmen and, and sophomores Maybe those guys are are ready to go, but I think missing out on senior seasons, even junior seasons, and instead running the scout team somewhere, I I think it's it hurts the the quarterback development. You can't simulate having to coordinate stuff, two minute drills, face adversity, see different coverages, prepare for different coverages. I think quarterbacks need that. And I told you I got a lot of stuff here, right? In 2023, so this season, I think there's five freshman quarterbacks. I might have missed one who have started multiple games. You got Dante Moore at UCLA, Jaden Rashada at Arizona State, Anthony Calandria at Virginia, uh, Caden Simonza at Ball State. I think that's his last name. Might be a typo on my on my end. And then Keon Jenkins at FIU. All three of those guys started at least 23 games their final two years of high school and led their teams to at least the semifinals of the state playoffs. I think it's important, man. I think those developmental years, you can't get them back. Um, and that's just kind of where I stand on it. I think Austin Mack is, is going to be a fascinating example or a, a case study. I think Austin Simmons is, Colin Hurley, uh, Quinn Ewers. You know, those are all interesting ones. Now, if we want to talk about guys that aren't quarterbacks, I mean, that is, that looks even worse. I think the first reclass that's a non-quarterback that will get drafted is Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin this year. And remember, he enrolled early as a safety. They moved him to running back and, and he's found some success. But other guys that I found in my research, Tony Grimes, former five-star corner, started off at North Carolina, has transferred to Texas A&M, kind of treading water there. Um, Desmond Ricks, or now they call him Des Ricks at Alabama, he has not appeared for the Crimson Tide here in 2023. Marcus Washington, a corner that Georgia signed two cycles ago, never played, transferred to Louisville. Kyler Casper was a freak athlete out of Arizona, reclassed, enrolled er, er, and enrolled at Oregon, caught one pass for four yards 
on 35 snaps as a freshman, has not caught a pass here for Oregon in 2023. Sony Styles does look like he could be a hit. He's played 152 snaps here in four games in, in 2023. Um, but the data is not great. LT Overton's another one. You know, he got a lot of run late last season in the rotation this year. Um, but some of these guys, like the early returns are stay in high school, at least from my my perspective. Sounds like the outliers, Andrew, are Quinn Ewers. LT Overton and maybe two or three other guys that you named Sonny Styles. Yeah. Right. Well, there there is one more, but this was before my time. Mark Walton, pre-class, like I don't know, back in the mid 2000s played early as a freshman at Miami and ended up going on to get drafted. Um, but it's not easy to find these names. I, I've compiled a list and I keep trying to add to it. From from and I'll say this because I've always found reclassification interesting as a, from a perspective of someone who obviously I'm, I'm not, you know, I wasn't recruited in anything coming out of high school. I played sports, you know, had my good times, but again, wasn't recruited in anything, nor did I, I want to be, but your senior year, what I don't understand is your senior year is one of the most fun years you have in high school. Well, the funnest year you have in high school more often than not. And you know, a, a year that is filled with a lot of memories. So I never understood why kids would want to leave and pass up that opportunity for things like prom, things like homecoming, things like just spending more time with your friends. And by reclassifying, you're, you're missing out on all that. You're missing out on all those opportunities. Just from, again, my perspective as someone who wasn't recruited I didn't know anyone who reclassified. You know, I, I had friends that were recruited in various other sports, but I, I didn't know anyone that reclassified or anything like that. But I've just always found it surprising that kids are so willing, and maybe it's not the kids, maybe it's the parents, maybe it's their handlers, maybe it's people that are sort of in their circle. But I've been always surprised to see these kids pass up these memories that they could potentially make their senior year just to get to college a year early. Because the fact is, I'll give you a case of Austin Mack, right? He reclassified, I think, from 2024 to 2023. If he didn't reclassify, it's not like Washington's not going to take him. They still would have taken him in 2024. So I just, I've never understood why kids are willingly passing up these opportunities and passing up these memories. And who knows, maybe down the line, 10, 20, 30 years from now, especially if these kids don't make it to the NFL, they'll look back and say, hey, I, I really missed the chance of having some good times with my friends my last year before college. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. But I've just never understood why they've willingly passed up the chance to make those memories and to have those opportunities to spend more time with their friends. And again, I was never recruited in anything, just my own personal opinion. Most 17, 18-year-olds don't have a 30-year-old's perspective. And the other thing, when I was in 17, I was ready to get the hell out of my parents' house too. You know? And from what I remember, college was pretty damn fun. I had a blast in college. I had a, I had a great time in college. Especially my freshman like, year. I had a great time in college, but I'm glad my college years happened when they did. I didn't need to push up that college timeline is my point. You know what I'm saying? Well, you say that as an almost 30-year-old. Hey, I'm not there yet, man. I'm only 27. Well, I'll, then I'll, then you're then you're ahead of your years. I'll, I'll add here, it's becoming a very professionalized sport. Coop, the other thing I had written down, and I know I've I've continued on this anti-reclassification train, 
in the 2024 class, is there anyone that you think could be playing right now in college football confidently? Hmm. I have one. Somebody asked me on yesterday. I mean, I, the two guys that I would be like, yeah, physically they can go out there and they can hack it. Sammy Brown and Braden Platt. And I'm just talking like physically, both those guys in the neighborhood of 240 pounds, both of them elite athletic traits. I don't know how much higher the ceiling is going to be for both those guys athletically. But you're talking about like physically, those are the two names that kind of come to my mind immediately. Jeremiah Smith for me. Oh, for sure. For sure. But the list is very, very small. So you're saying you think you think Sammy Brown could be out there for Clemson right now? Because I would agree. I think he could give you some snaps. I mean, it, yeah, it depends yeah. what the context is, right? I mean, I think both those both those guys could could quickly find their way into the into the two deep. And I kind of said with Braden Platt, somebody asked me yesterday about like the the ceilings and floors game with him, and it's like athletically, it, there's nowhere else for him to go. I mean, he's a sub 11 one guy. He's 240 pounds. He's got a 35 inch vert. He is what he is. What's either going to what's going to dictate his ceiling at the next level is him growing and maturing into that linebacker position, and it's all going to be about instincts and intuition. Andrew, you brought up Noah Sewell with Braden Platt. I believe you did, or somebody else did. That's my, right? that's my comp. And the comparison makes a lot of sense because Noah Sewell, in a lot of ways, was probably the best athlete we had at Oregon when I was there. But the feel, the intuition for the position was questionable at best, right? So, yeah, he might be able to check a lot of boxes physically, but when you don't have that part of the game, that's going to limit you a little bit. So, um, and, and the coaches are going to favor the guys that do have that intuition. Yeah, I think I think Jeremiah Smith is probably the safest bet. Outside of that, Drew, I'm like I'm looking at the rest of the the top 32. Sammy Brown obviously comes to mind. I don't know if there's one other name within the top 32 that's not Sammy Brown or Jeremiah Smith that I I would say kind of fits the answer to that question. There's some there's some like DBs. If you go down. You start scrolling through the top two, four, seven. Or I'm like, yes, this guy could probably give you some snaps. But the bottom line is, it's not a huge group. Yeah, good question. I should have made the fourth question, or I wish someone asked the fourth question. What are your guys' thoughts on Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? Just because it's been in the news so much. Do either of you, real quick, have thoughts on Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? Anyone? No. I think no it's thoughts? remarkable what it's done for like the NFL. The NFL is like one of the most popular entertaining entertainment products out there and then you combine this i mean taylor swift going on tour has like stimulated the u.s economy i'm pretty sure yeah right so when so when you add those two together it's just crazy i'm you know my wife loves taylor swift i guess i'm coming around i've never really understood it got into the red album a little bit kind of like that got to be honest but I don't know. I have no idea. I don't I don't know where it's going. I think it's fun. I like it. I think it's awesome that you have a bunch of people that would never listen to like Travis and Jason Kelsey's podcast that are probably like I would love to see the numbers on that podcast this week. I'm sure that's going to be the one of the it most dropped, listened to podcasts. Their episode of all dropped time. this morning, yeah. If I if I, I if I had to guess. 
are either you or your wife Swifties? Oh, my wife is a huge Swiftie. Yeah. She had t- she had tickets <laughs> to uh, her show in Tampa. Like I wasn't even on the short. Like it wasn't even an option. Like you're you could go. It was like yeah, you're hanging out with Josh, which is <laughs> her best friend's husband. <laughs> it was like not. I wasn't even on like. Yeah. practice squad like just watching jimmy buffett concerts <laughs> live from home yeah um, no, I, no i was i was at a i was at a bar on sunday very popular bar in in fort lauderdale for the nfl slate and when they showed her in the in the box with kelsey's mom like the place went crazy it it is just kind of fascinating to watch from a distance yeah, no, my, I, my wife is not a Taylor Swift fan, neither am I. I mean, I, I don't, I think her music's good, but I wouldn't call myself a Swifty, nor would my wife. My sister is, though. My sister saw her in Boston and is now in 2024 traveling to Ireland to see her in Ireland as well. Uh, so kind of like a vacation. I had no play. idea she was just like Michael Jackson type of like yeah, phenomenon. It's pretty wild. I, I I knew and she was I popular. I had no idea question, she'd like move the needle like that. The question I have. So the Chiefs are coming to New Jersey this week to play the Jets at MetLife, which is Jets and Giants Stadium. I wonder if she's going to be there. If she's going to be there, maybe I have to get tickets. I'm not a Jets fan. I'm Giants fan. Maybe I have to get tickets. That way I could say I've been in the same place as Taylor Swift. Maybe I'll see her. Who knows, right? You never know I, with these things. I think it's crazy that people will, because I have met some other people in my life that are going to Europe to see her. Like... I think Florida State plays in Ireland next season. And I'm doing a straw poll with Florida State supporters. Like, hey, are you going to make that trip? It's kind of lukewarm. Like, to me, I would, if my, if like FAU was playing Notre Dame in Ireland, like, I'm there no matter what. I just, I, I don't know. And you have these Taylor Swift fans that are, going to travel across the world to go see her perform. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, They're and, committed and, to the game. For and sure. And it's wild. It's wild. And this will be the last thing. On this. Right, we got like this 20 seconds more on this. Yeah. We got to move on. My sister not only put in for Ireland, but she put in for like places all around the country. It's not like they just focus on one place because it's like a ticket raffle of sorts. It's pretty wild, the following that she has. And like you said, I mean, Michael Jackson was, you know, I'm only 27. Michael Jackson's prime, I guess was before me, but I mean, this is, I would think the closest thing we've seen to Michael Jackson. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. That is not question number four though. Question. Glad we got four. that out there. All right. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Question number four and Cooper, I'll let you start with this one. I don't know if you were involved in his recruitment at all at Washington, but the question is, are you surprised by Puka Nakua's NFL success so far? And on the flip side, Jackson Smith and Jigba's lack of success, just a little context there. Puka Nakua, was a fifth round pick, I believe, twenty somewhere in the twenties in terms of wide receivers taken, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, on the other hand, was a first round pick and the first wide receiver taken. Pukunuku is on the Rams. Jackson Smith and Jigba is on the Seahawks. So, Coop, uh, again, don't know if you were involved in his recruitment, but I'll let you start it off. I was involved in his recruitment. I mean, it depends what your definition of involved were was, but there? yes, I had, an, I had a good, I had a good relationship with Puka Nakua. He was formally committed to USC. Great kid. Was he? I didn't know Great that. family. Yes. And um, all due respect, like Clay Helton was the the gift that just kept on giving to us at, at UW, you know, so especially when, you know, you had receivers like that. Typically, Puka Nakua had a personality that was made for Los Angeles. 
And fortunately enough, we were able to get him in Seattle. Um, am I surprised that he is having success? No. Am I surprised that through three weeks of the NFL season that I believe he is, is he still the, the leading reception? He has 30, I don't know, I'd have to look it up, but right now he has 30 receptions for 338 yards. This is through obviously three games, I think. Um, no touchdowns, but again, still a, a valuable weapon for Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Yeah, I think it's all about situation and circumstances, right? Situation that he's going to is he's going to one of the best play callers in the in the NFL with Sean McVay in that offense. The other thing you have to take into consideration, one of the best receivers in the NFL is not available. That happens to be on that team in Cooper Cup. And Matthew Stafford is a guy that we have seen has a tendency He's going to be a high volume of targets once he gets locked in, whether that's Cooper Cup. Now we've seen it with Puka Nakua, and I think Puka has benefited from not only being in that system, but basically playing in a system and for a head coach and a quarterback that truly believe in his abilities. So that part has been uh, really, really fun to watch and, you know, I've, I've talked about it before, so I'm not going to get into it too much. I mean, he is a tremendous high school player. Andrew, you brought it up this morning in a, in a separate group text. One of the reasons senior tape is so important, and it wasn't like Puka was not a uber-productive player as a junior, but he, he had back-to-back years of just insane production in Utah at Orem High School. On top of that, played basketball. Genetically, he had three siblings I believe that played at BYU and then on top of that track and field was also elite in the long jump and then when you got to see him in person he checked those boxes as well so no I'm not surprised the other one is you know circumstantially Jackson Smith and the Jigba you kind of flip the script a little bit right I mean wide receiver two maybe even three in Seattle right with definitely three I watch a lot of Seahawks football there you go, right? So yeah, you can I mean, add more context to this. Aren't you a wife, Seahawks fan? Wife, wife is a Seahawks fan. I have a uh, Geno Smith, one of those graphic T-shirts, you know, that like old school, like 90s throwback. was wearing that over the weekend. Some guy's like, I love your T-shirt. I'm like, well, Geno Smith, Broward County, stand up. <laughs> um, Point being, you know, though, right? Like Metcalf, Lockett. Geno Smith, not taking anything away from them. It just seems like they haven't been able to kind of find his role yet, which to me, it makes me a little nervous because I'm looking at like Kyle Pitts in Atlanta and it's like they drafted that guy with absolutely no vision. And what Kyle Pitts has less than 30 receptions a year and a quarter into his career. Pukunaku has got 30, you just mentioned, three games into his career. And you think you'd find a way to feed Kyle Pitts or say, hey, we got to get this guy X amount of touches, targets per game. And to me, Jackson Smith and Jigba, if you're going to spend that high of a draft pick on a receiver, that is something you have to work into your game plan every week. We got to find a way to get this guy in space. We got to find a way to get this guy some touches. Excellent run after catchability, excellent downfield playmaking ability. I have not watched Seattle. So Drew, I will leave that to you, but that would be that would be my guess there. Well, Smith Najigba is not the only first rounder struggling. And uh, you know, 
listen to a lot of read a lot just on the NFL. And I think it's still a little too early to write some of these guys off, but it, it is certainly notable. And Smith Najigba is not the only first round pick that is struggling. Quentin Johnston, uh, you know, Josh Palmer is like the hot fantasy waiver wire ad. It, it should in theory be Quentin Johnston uh, there for the Chargers. Tyree Wilson, barely playing. I think you kind of maybe look back to what he did in college and it's like, okay, like he still is probably drinking through a fire hose. Will McDonald, I think was a healthy scratch for the Jets. Am I, am I wrong yeah, on that? Yeah, you are. He, uh, Jets fans are are not happy to say the least that Will McDonald is not playing. But yeah, he is barely playing, if at all. But Coop, I, I do want to circle back to that uh that text I sent everyone um in our in our rankings this morning. Cause I mean I, I, I love this stuff just digging into the different profiles and I think three of the top rookies so far, one thing they had in common aside from decorated multi-sport backgrounds is all these guys had nuclear senior season. So Sam Laporta, who was the Lions second round pick tight end, uh NFL record for rookie tight ends, 18 catches through three games, went back and just looked at him coming out of high school as a senior, went both ways. And he kind of is a prime example of guys who are not playing tight end in high school. He was a wide receiver and a DB, 68 catches, 1400 yards, 19 touchdowns, seven interceptions on defense. I always Pound the table about basketball. Third team all state selection there in Illinois, 15.1 points per game. Devin A chain, I think that's how you say it. I don't know. The Miami media down here can't can't really figure it out. He went off for the Dolphins in that 70 point win. I mean, he was the Gatorade player of the year, track and field in Texas as a senior, ran track at Texas AM. I had no idea this was his stat line coming out of Fort Ben Marshall as a senior. 201 carries, 2,226 yards, 40 TDs, caught 38 passes, 768 yards, and 10 touchdowns. And then you brought up Puka Nakua. I mean, he had 103 catches as a senior, 2,300 yards, 26 touchdowns, three medals at the state track meet as a senior, second in the 100-meter dash, third in the 200, and then he was the state champ in the long jump. Also, a hoops player, second team All-State as a junior you know that gets me fired up. So why is that important? Well, we are pouring through the senior tape and uh a lot of a lot of guys that you know find the end zone on Friday nights, make plays, tend to tend to keep doing it in college and then in the league. I just accidentally dropped Puka Nakua in my fantasy league. I mean the irony of that. I why meant to drop the Sean Watson. I didn't mean to do that. Why would I do that? There's no reason to do that. All right, you I just put it. a claim back in. You gotta, Oof. you gotta text the commissioner. Dude, yeah, I that's got what problems, I would do, man. I got text problems. The, text the commission, say, "Hey, accidentally dropped Nakua. Can you change it?" I don't want to. Uh, the commit. Uh, it's a vile league. If I bring attention to it, it's going to be somebody's going to snag him. I'm better to just kind of stay under the radar. It's pretty embarrassing too. All right, Lance, was that our last question? That was our last question. Unless you want to talk more Taylor Swift, we could talk some Rutgers Wagner. I think that's enough Taylor Swift for the rest of the year. Wait, I got a question. I got a question. Is Puka the first guy you you recruited that is on your fantasy team? Ooh, that is a good question, Evans. Ooh, um, 
recruited, yes. I mean, there were some other guys that were at UW, Miles Gaskin, Savon Alkmed. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, Hassan Haskins hadn't done much uh, over at Tennessee yet. Uh, he is. I mean, if you count Aiden Hutchinson as part of Detroit Lions defense, then maybe not. But yes, Pukunakua, he's the first kind of like real guy. About my guy, Roma Dunze, man. I'm, I'm looking at my to... I'm looking at my team now. I uh I saw James Cook play in high school. Scouted there you him. Go. <laughs> and and take Bigsby. I obviously didn't recruit him, but I have my boy Isaiah Pacheco on two teams. Shocker. Jeez. All right, boys, are we ready to get out of here? Let's get it. Bring it home. All right, guys, we appreciate you listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe to the show. I don't even think you can like the show, but you get my point. Leave a rating and a review. Please, we love that. Questions, comments, criticisms, that is the place to do it. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. And for Andrew Ivins, producer Lance Glenn, happy hump day from the Oyster Boys over here. We'll see you tomorrow.